Good afternoon and welcome to Meeple to Meeple, uniting meeples around the world. I'm PJ, I'm here with Gareth, and we are going to talk about Gateway to My Soul, three games that got us into this hobby that we all love. Gareth, how are you? I am very well. How are you, PJ? I am doing amazing. It is always an honor to talk with you. I'm excited. I'm excited. Let's do this. How excited are you, Gareth? I am very excited to share the three games, and I'm going to do it in chronological order, um, that got me in this hobby, which we are going right back to like in the 1980s, which is like an epic time and period of time anyway. Who can't beat 80s music? No. No, you can't. You can try. No. <laughs> so tell me about the first game that got you into the hobby in the 80s. So, right, yeah, so going right back, my... My cousin, um, so I was probably around 12, 11, 12, and he'd sort of got me a little bit into D&D. Um, but not having the right group of friends, I was still looking for kind of an itch that would feel that kind of RPG role playing bit that everyone was talking about. Um, and I stumbled into Games Workshop um, and on the shelf was a game called Talisman, um, at which at that time was the second edition. Um, I think we're now on the fourth edition, which I, I do own. Now, that game, you know, actually from a board game perspective is pretty simple. You roll some dice and you move around the board. Um, but you've got that character evolution. You, each character's got variable player powers. You've kind of got that kind of scratching that itch. I could be a good character. I could be a lawful. I can be, uh, an evil character. Um, and I'm developing my skills so I can go and slay monsters. I can go on quests. Um, I can be turned into a crazy frog. Um, and it just got us into playing board games, um, away from, you know, your standard fare. Um, and played it with my friends, my family. Uh, I remember playing it quite a lot in my teenage years with my sister and, and after our group of common friends. Um, and it's always been with me. And that second edition copy I still have. They released expansions, added dungeons to it. Um, and of course, when the fourth edition came out, I picked that version up uh, just to scratch the itch really and just keep that nostalgia running and have also bought up all the boards. But he's a table hog these days. Um, but back then it was Games Workshop. Now it's uh, Fantasy uh, Flight. Um, but that is Talisman. Just a really nice Roland um, move fantasy game. That doesn't do anything uh, new, but does it pretty well. I love that. I love that story. Um, I want to. I want to go back. I want to revisit a little Gareth playing as a crazy frog. Crazy frog. <laughs> I'm sure there's a song like in the UK called Crazy Frog. Uh, no one, no one Spotify or go on Apple because you'll you'll hurt your ears. But <laughs> yeah, you see, you can get turned into a frog and you drop everything. Um, and the game is um, last person standing. So you start uh, on the outer edge of the map. It's generally OK. Um, you have to cross and, f and fight this this badass knight uh, or you've got to find a raft across the river. And then you've got the kind of middle area that gets a bit tougher. And eventually you need to get into the into the inner uh, areas, which I've now forgot what, even what it's called. Um, but it's one space at a time. Every space has got a challenge until you get to the center and you put on the crown of commands. And all you have to do is zap people for one life a turn until everyone else is dead and you are the sole champion. So it's tons of take that. Uh, don't ever be friends. It's a kind of like beer and pretzel game where 
you you just get your mates round. You just kind of play the game. I mean, you can go on for hours if you're not if you're not careful. Even the core game. Um, so there's lots of house rules. But if you add everything, and there's like I think ten to fifteen expansions, it's like pretty much. It could be a day's adventure. Um, that is that is, that is it's it's hardcore for for what is you know just a roll and move a, a roll and move. There, uh, yeah, you can definitely fill an afternoon up. Um, but yeah, it's so, definitely. There's definitely something about those games in the 80s, right, where they could last forever. It's a simple mechanic that just, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think other games like, uh, I mean, other games at the time, there was Blood Bowl, if you remember sort of the American football-themed uh, yep. game. I think a bit later there was Mighty Empires, which was like a board game minis version that I seem to recall going on for hours. There was Dungeon Quest, which is like kind of a mix of hero quests and tile tile placement. That we again, I've got a copy of that somewhere in the house. Um, uh, battle was it Battle Lord? Battle Lord? Battle Lord? Yeah, ba- Battle Lord? Battle Battle Lords? Was it? Yeah. It's Car Wars, I remember as well. Oh my gosh! Now you're really taking me yeah. back. Car Wars, which I remember who that was the designer. Isn't it the same guy as Munchkin? Or am I talking? No. What's that? Who was the designer of Car Wars? Oh, that was, is it Steve Jackson? Is that, is that Munchkin? Same guy? A different guy? Yeah. No, same guy. Is it? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I remember those days, those, uh, those days as well. But yeah, that's, that is Talisman. So that is my intro to board gaming. But there's then a very long gap. But I'll let you do your kind of intro to your first game and then explain why we had nearly a, 20 or so year gap right now it's amazing how much you and i our stories are so parallel in so many ways um so the very first game that got me into modern gaming was axis and allies by milton bradley i was introduced to it by my older cousin on christmas morning 1988 it's not when the game came out but he brought it over to my grandmother's house as the whole extended family would get together uh, Christmas morning. Um, we'd come from our relative homes, go to my grandmother's and spend the day together. And he brought this game and he took me outside onto the porch. My grandmother didn't have a wraparound porch, but it went around to the front and the side of the house. And we were on the corner, on the concrete, on the ground. And I don't think we left for like, six hours i think we missed everything um we didn't even get up for dinner and he taught me axis and allies and it was the first time that i was introduced to um a five-player game which for me that was unheard of right it was always maximum four right all all the classic ameritrash games you know they're all four players sorry and trouble and monopoly they're like these four player games or you had these party games that were more than four but a five player game and if you have five players you have teammates that's unheard of yeah wait i actually have a partner are you kidding me and then it's world war ii so at the time i was really big into military history i was you know that was kind of my favorite subject in school at the time so really it just it checked boxes for me that i had no idea um and it it was a real game. And then it's my older cousin who I've looked up to most of my life. Um, 
and so for him to introduce this to me, it just kind of, it legitimized it in my little, you know, <laughs> eighth grade brain. And I'm like, this is, this is it. And I asked my mom for a copy and she got it. And I played it all throughout high school. Um, yeah, it was just amazing. Got my high school history teacher to play it with us. Um, yeah, it was just, it was exciting. Like my high school was defined by this game. Um, what, what is different between Axe and Allies? I guess in a game I can remember from, that, from those days is Risk. What What's different? So Risk, as you recall, you just basically have units, and it's all just sheer numbers, right? Okay, yeah. Um, in Axis and Allies, you have different components, and each component has a different target die roll to be successful right. when engaged in battle, right? So if I'm attacking with five infantry, I'm going to roll five dice, and every one that I roll is a successful hit. And I've, and then I've got tanks. If I've got three tanks, I'm going to roll three D6s, and for every three or less will be a hit. Uh, and then it introduced naval, naval warfare. So you fought on land because you had tanks and infantry, later editions, and God, there's so many editions of Axis and Allies, um, later editions introduced artillery, um, you have aircraft, anti-aircraft guns, you have factories, what is that? Oh, and there's money, so now it's economy? Oh, man, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I'm really sorry that I don't, I didn't keep the game, I got rid of it, it was a, com it was a, com oh, you know what, it was also the first game from my experience, to introduce an actual insert. Okay. Right? It had styrofoam. I mean, you know, okay, it was the 80s. You know, because board game inserts are all the rage today. Um, and it had these styrofoam inserts. So there was one for each country. So uh, the UK, the Soviet Union, and the United States yeah. for the Allies, Japan and Germany. And it had, it lets you keep all your pieces separate. And then there was, like, one other one that kept all the, like, the little chips and the dice and the shared materials. Um, it was also the first board game that try that was a tri-fold. You know what I mean? That's right for a board. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's squared. Right, because if you think about it, Monopoly, Sorry, uh, Candyland, all those classics, even Clue or Cluedo in, in England, um, it folds in half. Yeah. Right? And the box was generally quite empty with it, apart from that, maybe a little bit of cardboard. Right. Um, yeah, boxes. But Axis and Allies, Axis and Allies was just this huge box, and it was just really cumbersome to store. Granted, in a world, in a world where we have Nemesis and Gloomhaven, yeah, and big boxes is relative story solutions. You know, uh, and even even uh, you know Jamie Stegmeier with Stone Stonemeyer, right? Yeah, uh, even the, the most he's now giving us. Yeah, we got the wine crate for viticulture. We got the big legendary box for scythe. Um, so yeah, big box. It's like big boxes are the way to go. But back then, not so much. Cause yeah, I wish I still had the original copy. Now there's like there's a Europe version. There's a there's a Pacific version. There's just the Battle of Guadalcanal. There's D-Day. I mean, it, it's would you add it back in your collection? What's that? Would you add it back in your collection? Did is there other games that do, like Talisman is at a fourth edition. It's pretty much the same game with some, some rule tuning. Would you add it back in your collection or is it nostalgia uh, only? Do you have uh, 
You would. I would. I would. But I think I would go back to the original if I could find it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thrift store. Charity. Yeah. 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 Nostalgia is good, but it was. I mean, it was a solid game, right? Like so. Um, you know, Talisman's roll and move. I don't know what you call Axis and Allies. Roll and fight. Roll and fight. I get because that's the only time you roll dice. Dice was used to resolve combat. Every unit had its own movement, right? Yeah. Some things could move four spaces. Some could only move. So, so then there's a gap like you. There was a long gap. Again, I played this throughout high school, but when I graduated from high school, I kind of I didn't go to college right away, so I got away from board gaming. Uh, and you mentioned a gap as well. So what was the next game that? Yeah. So. Um, so while we played like talisman other games and i think when i said battle cars earlier and i was about dark future as well steve jackson was nothing to do with it i just looked it up it was like richard halliwell and uh ian livingstone so if anyone picked up on that error you can call us on it but um yeah so through those 90s um 80s and early 90s still playing games but I, th- I think around the time the PlayStation 1, so like, it must be like 90, or 94, maybe 93, generally seemed to move away from analog gaming to digital computer games. I'd always been into computers, but, um, but yeah, I think, and, and I guess also being a, te- a, a middle aged teenager, um, the world's priorities changed. Maybe board games, but maybe not so cool. Obviously they're cool now. Um, I'm not sure calls even allowed as a word anymore. Um, but, um, I think about 20 years goes by and while, um, playing, I'm sure Talisman had a, had a, you know, got a dusted off at certain Christmas celebrations, uh, and card games were always part of family holidays. What we would call modern gaming didn't reappear till about 2012. Um, so I reckon it's about a 20 year gap probably, um, from playing whichever those last few board games were in my teenage years, right through to, I guess, you know, yeah, sort of my mid thirties. Um, and our kids were, um, sort of toddlers and sort of come up to four or five and they were obviously playing digital bits. And we we're like, we've got to get off these and start doing things as a family, find some time together. Um, so I can't quite remember. I think we had a copy. I think we bought a copy of, um, of Catan early on. And then found out, got home and went, oh, it's three players and there was two of us. <laughs> so, um, so I was like, okay, this, this wasn't a good start. And that sat on, that sat, sat on the shelf unplayed for years until maybe even like three or four years ago. So I hadn't only played that recently. Um, so I did some Googling. I stumbled across this, uh, this crazy world called Board Game Geek. And I think I did a, what a good two player games. Um, and there was a whole list of things, but, um, Lords of Waterdeep came up at that point again i think it was released in 2012 as highly recommended um obviously it's got that dnd itch being based on dnd world um so it you know it's lighting up memories of sort of talisman and sort of dnd early days um and it said it was really good for people who necessarily weren't necessarily into board games and my wife would definitely not say then that she was a gamer um so off we went um I can remember buying it from a a small uh, town about 40 minute drive from here called Chichester. They had a Waterstones bookshop. Um, 
and they're run independently and they had tons of ball games, which unfortunately the one where I live now hasn't. Um, and there it was on the shelf, took it home, opened the box and went, whoa, like, you know, proper rule books. I mean, now that has got a proper storage solution. It's got those little coins that are different, um, the wooden coins that are different shapes, um, set up, learned the rules, which are actually relatively easy. And that dipped our toe into worker placement. Um, and my wife luckily fell in love with it and we played that game a ton. Um, in fact, I bought that game. I've sold that game and, and sold it again recently because while it's nostalgia and it definitely is a game I'd recommend to loads of new gamers, there's so many more games now that just, um, just a more in my, I guess what I'm looking for from a sort of complexity perspective, but plays two to five players really well, sort of midway, um, I think it's about 2.4 sort of complexity. Um, but that game I've talked to loads of, talked to loads of new players. Um, it's such a good example of understanding how to get into, um, into worker placement and that initial concept um, of a mechanic, which, you know, was completely alien to us because we were so used to rolling a dice and moving around the board. Um, so, yeah, Lords of Wall Street landed uh, on our table and opened up a world of board games. And to the point we're sat here today talking to you about, you know, the hobby and those gateway games to my soul that after, I guess, 10 years now, playing modern board games, I'll happily talk to and will happily play that game with anybody who wants to sit down and be taught it. So that is how we got back into board games. I, I think the most startling part of that story is that you sold it, you bought it back, and then recently sold it again. I know. I know. Even though I only bought it again like two and a half years ago. But I'm out of space and, I, you know, I'm, I'm maybe we'll do an episode about the, the like collecting games and and having to sell like one of your only children to make space for the next child that's on its way. Um, to be fair, those of you listening, I am a proponent of selling games and culling your collection. So I understand. Yeah. And it's, 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 and it's a big box, but it's gone to somebody who I know. So it's not very far away who's in our games group. So there's no, you know, it's there if I want to play. Right. And that's a key because that's a great game. Like I, I can't foresee selling my copy uh, ever just because it's it like you said, it's a solid worker placement. Um, it's good. Um, it recently hit the table maybe about a month ago with some of our friends. It's just, you know, it's a classic. Right. And it, yeah. It scratches. It scratches that D&D itch. Yeah. Yeah. Absolute classic. That's, that's a good way. Of, yeah. It's one of those. Um, yeah. Those games that everyone should try if they're getting into into the hobby. So the key to remember that fantasy itch, that kind of, you know, so I think the thing to remember, and we will ask our listeners to hold us accountable to this is when we do our episode where we talk about classic games, right? Um, we should not talk about this one because we've already covered it. <laughs> I will write a list of the games we talked about so we don't repeat. So everyone who's listening gets to hear something original and not a repeat. Yes. I have no <laughs> doubt. Where? I have no doubt that we've got a friend. Uh, I can think of two of them off the top of my head who is going to start keeping a list of everything we in talk fact, about. If they've been writing a list, those people who they know they are, why don't they write a list for me and send it to me on my Instagram handle? That is right. Yeah. Yep. That'll save me some time. So, PJ, what is the game that got you back into gaming after a bit of a time yeah. away? So, like I said, I, you know, I didn't go to college right away after high school. So, 
I didn't have a lot of gaming friends. Obviously, I was doing whatever. Stupid teenager in 20 or something, whatever. <laughs> um, I got back to school. Oh, I may have been 26 years old. And I was living with two friends. So there was three of us. So that's the magic number right there. And if you haven't already figured it out, you know what game I'm about to talk about is uh, there were three of us living in an apartment and a friend of mine had earlier introduced me to this really weird game out of Germany where you don't know who wins till the end. And this concept called Euro games, like, I don't know what that is, but he introduced me and I'm like, okay. And if you haven't guessed it, it is in fact the settlers of Catan. Um, so I introduced it to my friends, my roommates. Um, we were all, all going to college and we had a dining room table and Catan was permanently set up for four players at any time. Because if, if we have a friend over, we got four. If we don't have a friend over, you can just set aside the, I know that for those of you who don't know, Gareth plays blue. So we just put blue to the side. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's a crime in your world. um, So, yeah, and we would play Catan and it would, it would not be surprising for me. I was working an evening job where I was coming home at 11 at night. So I'm in class during the day and I get off at 11. I would come home from work. And the beauty is I would get to do my homework while I was at work. So I was free if I wanted to. And if my roommates weren't already in the middle of a Catan game, uh, one of my roommates would hand me a beer and we would sit down and play Catan until two in the morning. It was not unheard of. Just the constant games of Catan. And then, and then of course, Seafarers, I picked up a copy. And we're talking like, like mine is so old because there's been so many editions of Catan now. Yeah. Like mine is out of print. It's hard to find. Like, you know, it's, it's a nightmare, but I got Cities and Knights. And then we've got the Traitors and Barbarians. And then I, late, later on, I took it to grad school with me and had some friends who were in, who were light gamers, you know, um, and they were excited to have something to do. For an evening, at least one night a week, right? We always have game night, and we play. Uh, so we play Settlers, and I found um, a copy of a book in German. I was like, "Well, this is a great way to learn German. I know, know the, I know the vocabulary in English, so I should be able to do this." And it had all these scenarios, and it's just, it's crazy. I don't have, I still have, because I know you're going to ask. I still have all my original pieces, components. I have all my expansions, but I threw away the boxes. This was long before my passion for box art on the wall. I've got this plastic bin and I just keep it all. Uh, to be fair with you, I mean, I might, I'm really thinking about doing a, a, an episode just on Catan and talk about all the components because it goes deep. You could probably do the same thing with Talisman with all the expansions. Yeah, easy. Easily, yeah, easily. There you go. Yeah, so that's that's my that's my reintroduction into and from that moment on. So this is 2000, 2000, 2001. I went back to school in two thousand. It was two thousand one when we moved in together, the three of us. And from two thousand one to two thousand five. And to be fair, I knew there were other games out there, 
but my my roommates and my friends didn't seem to be interested in learning anything else. Okay. They were content. Yeah, I hear that like, Katani is just that kind of hits the mark of what people want without having to do anything too quick. Because it's really, it is easy to teach and play with lots of strategy and people just go, that's, that's enough. That's my fix. You know, and then you get tired of playing to 10 points. So we would agree upon, it's like, so we're going to play to 15 tonight, right guys? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was, that was Catan. It got me back and I never left. Never looked back. I've been in it. Since 2001, so that's 21 years ago. It's like a pro. Yeah. You know, the the, the silent the silent killer. <laughs> <laughs> all, that, all that cardboard, all that time, yeah. but it's been fun. So what was the last game that, because we did agree to talk about three games, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so that really kind of like, it, it, it stepped you over the edge. It was the moment where you're like, you know what? I am a gamer and I embrace that about myself. And there's just no compunction about it. Like there was a moment after Waterdeep that you were like, this is great. It's elevated my gameplay. And it's the reason why you have that room that you're sitting in right now. That's floor to ceiling shelves of games. So this one, um, I kind of, there's so many, there's so many to choose from. But, um, I actually went for one that was released only one year later than Laws of Waterdeep. Um, and anyone who's watched any of the my Meeple Monday live shows on a on a Monday um, on Instagram know that when anyone asks me what my favourite game is, I always talk about Viticulture with with Tuscany um, combined. Um, so I actually wrote down Viticulture because it was one of the th- I think it was one of the first successful Kickstarters, and I'm sure Jamie Stegmaier will he's written a book about these sort of things and talks about them quite a lot. And it was a game that really scratched that worker placement itch that I'd, I guess, learned maybe a year earlier from um, Lords, Lords of Waterdeep. Um, but I have gone on to teach so many other people viticulture, um, whether they're new gamers, old gamers, uh, I can teach it with my eyes shut. Um, I would teach the basic game to like new, new players to they get that itch. So I'd probably teach Fitty Overlords these days. Um, just I just think it's got a bit more to it. And I guess the theme is probably a bit more accessible than D&D. Um, but then I had Tuscany in the next time we see them, which it adds in that little bit more um, complexity. And while it's not it's not the best worker placement game in the world, it's far more elegant versions it just is a game that i'll happily sit at a table with and someone says how about game of itty um and it'll be on the table it's a game that my friends a bit like your Catan, we have played so many times as a group um there's always different ways to win even you know with the more recent expansions you don't even need to make any wine you can win through other mechanics um and of course last week on our doorstep landed um the the co-op expansion um along with the 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 big box and i have thrown away all my viti boxes that everything else is in um but it's a game that yes it's been it's an older game now um but has just got loads of good memories attached to it um and one that is good to introduce like i said new gamers to um whenever i have somebody visit the house or i go to 
like a works do, which I've got one coming up and it's on the pile to take with me. Um, so I get them hooked and then they'll be on to the bigger and better, heavier games. Like a drug pusher. Terrible thing. Cardboard. Absolutely. So that's my, that's my third game I chose. There's loads more, but we'll save those other games for another, um, another episode. So that means that when I eventually come to the UK and I come to visit you, Viticulture will already be set up on the table? Yeah. Well, I can make it set up. It's very easy. I can set up with my eyes shut. No, 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 no. Piggyback off of my story. When I arrive at your house, it needs to be set up on the table. Yeah. It'll be there waiting for you every time. You know, I'm going to be like... I'm going to say hi to the kids real quick. Well, let's be fair. I'm going to say hi to Kira. Um, and then I'm going to sit down and play viticulture. <laughs> and that's it. And that'll be it. That's if we've always known each other. And we've I mean, it feels that way. It does. It really does. So, so, PJ, tell me about the third game that got you, I guess, hooked into the world of board games. So it's kind of interesting. Um, it piggybacks off my first story. Um in 2006, I met my wife, and she was an avid gamer. She had been steeped in Euro games, so she was far more advanced than I was, uh, I guess you could say. But I embraced gaming. She, you know, she knew that you know I I had been playing Catan for years, and there were a few other games that I had been playing. Yes. Um, we got together and she introduced me to Ticket to Ride. And I know, I know Ticket to Ride, Ticket to Ride is a hot topic, man. Some people are, it, it, it can be divisive at times, but it was another, it's another Euro game where you score at the end. And, uh, but it was just, it was a lot of fun. She introduced me to Marklin, which later Days of Wonder reprinted as Ticket to Ride Germany, right? Okay, yep. So this is the original Marklin. And I'm like, and then everything's printed in German. And I'm like, what is going on? Because it's a German copy that she has, um, which I guess is, you know, worth pointing out is that she had spent some time in the Netherlands doing a study abroad okay. program as an undergrad. And she um, she under, she could read German. So for her, this was not a big deal. So I was like, OK. Uh, so that was in 2006. I played Marklin. So let's fast forward. I am now, I, we have been together 15 years. We've been married 13 years. Um, there are only two maps that we don't own. Oh, wow. Take it yeah. Uh, we own them all and we keep them all. In fact, her father built us a box, um, out of wood that would properly allow us to store all the boards and the rules and the components. And it's beautiful. So we can keep it all separate. I'll see a photograph of that. Yeah. Um, I will definitely have to send that out. Um, You know, because the boxes of Ticket to Ride, and this is before we knew anything about Calaxes or, you know, anything else, it would be floor to ceiling. And we're like, okay, this is not, this is taking up too much room because they're essentially the same game. And we challenged him to build us a box, and he did. And uh, to this day, we love Ticket to Ride. Um, we just picked up the 15th anniversary of Europe, um, which was amazing. I love the beautiful plastic trains. Um, it, and it's not that uh, we are both avid train enthusiasts, 
or the theme of trains or anything like that. It's just a ticket to ride, hit it. Uh, it hit nice, you know, it introduced me to set collection. That was a new mechanic I was not familiar with at the time. Um, yeah, it was just, it was just really good and defined most of our, uh, our relationship together, our marriage. And now I think we own a hundred and almost 200 games of which 72% have been played this year. That's a good stat. Yeah. Um, and we have no shelf of shame. Every game in our collection has at least been played once. And now we're trying to get through the entire collection by the end of 22. And we're at 72%. We're hoping to be at 75% by Gen Con in August. And I think we'll be there. I'm nowhere near any of those stats. <laughs> uh, that's another well, episode. How to not play your entire game collection. I'm just going to have to go to the UK. And all we're going to do except for Viticulture, is we're going to play your entire shelf of shame. In fact, that's what I want to do. I'm going to volunteer my time <laughs> to everyone listening. If you have a shelf of shame that you can't get to, if you're willing to put me up for a few days, I will come to you, and we will just play your shelf of shame. We're going to get that out of the way. Will you learn all the rules? Um, I will try. Yeah. I mean, everything, that's a lie, all but one thing that I Brought home for the UK Games Expo is now being played, which might be a, that might be a first. It's only been a week and a two day, a week and a day, and we've played nearly everything apart from Barrage. That's how you do it, though. You pick up a yeah, bunch of games at a con and we've done it. We just go crazy the weekend playing games. So we are, um, we're at 36 minutes. We better, um, wrap this one up and, um, I guess any listeners have got any comments about which games got them into into the hobby or any similar stories to us and PJ, please just drop them in the comments. Uh, we love to read them. Uh, and we'll be back um, soon with another, another episode. And I think that to close out the episode, I just got one question for you, Gareth. Are you ready to play Viddy? I am ready. Ever ready. Excellent. Excellent. I'll go get the wine. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks, uh, everyone. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. As ever, uh, PJ, let's speak again very, very soon. Yes, sir. Okay, stay safe. Okay, you too. Thanks. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.